With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. All right, folks, buckle up. We're back. Week 7 it was crazy. Mountain West Wire podcast here, MWCWire.com. We got a lot to talk about today. Myself, Jeremy Moss, Matt Kennerly, MWCWire.com. I already said that, right? Once, I guess. I'm excited. You can never say it enough. Join us at MWCWire.com. Twitter, Facebook, just search Mountain West Wire. You'll find us. And that voice you heard is, uh, are you ecstatic? A big victory for your, for your um, Bulldogs there. Much bigger than I anticipated. I don't think anybody anticipated that type of victory. That's true. But then again, there was a lot of things this week that nobody anticipated. This is why you love college football, right? Because it never happened throughout there. You go, okay, you got two ranked teams to beat. Like USC loses to Washington State. You got a couple games here at the bottom of the rankings. Memphis beats UCLA. But then it started Friday evening, Friday afternoon. Depending where you're at in the country, Friday. Number two, Clemson versus crappy old Syracuse at the Carrier Dome. Well, see, let's see what happened over the weekend, Matt. We got uh, Clemson losing number two. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, I don't have an order here. Washington State scored three points versus Cal. And how what, how did Tim Druder uh, prepare that defense against Washington State? What's up with that? That was never at Fresno ever. Well, you know, for first year or two maybe. Um, but, yeah, <laughs> I think maybe we're, uh, you know, I think it's pretty clear maybe he's just better suited to be a defensive coordinator at this point. Well, yeah, look what he did at Air Force before when they had a really good defense. He was their DC there too. But yeah, that loss to, uh, what was Washington State, eight at the yes. time? Yes, they were. So then what happened Saturday morning? I'm trying to get more organized here. You get the scoreboard up. So who lost next? Ranked okay. teams counting as we go here. It's two. Okay, so I'm assuming it's most, well, actually it's it's in ranking order. It's not by chronological order. That's fine. But, you know, obviously Washington, the Huskies, lost last night. And, you know, everybody's already saying the Pac-12 may have already played them well, played themselves out of the playoff. Uh, Auburn lost with a 20 to nothing lead over LSU. Who lost to Troy, by the way. Yeah, Miami just barely escaped Georgia Tech at number 11. Uh, Oklahoma had a really you know, rough and tumble Red River rivalry against Texas, and they barely escaped. Weren't they up 20 to 0 and almost lost? They were, I think, yeah. And then you got Utah USC. I'm watching yeah. that game. I'm like, come on. All right, backup quarterback. They're up 21 7. They got this. And then. Uh... Yeah, and then uh, Indiana kind of gave, gave away their upset bid against Michigan. Hey, don't overlook Wisconsin Purdue. They only beat Purdue 17 to 9. Yeah, and then Michigan State had a really close call against Minnesota. Texas Tech lost. Navy lost. Lots of very close escapes for some teams and, you know, losses for others. Like San Diego State, unfortunately. Yeah, Yeah, this is a week where there's always one of these weeks where, oh, a couple top 10 teams lose. But wasn't it four total that lost this weekend? What Clemson? No, it was seven. Seven top 10 teams lost? Or no, I thought you were talking about top 25 teams. But yeah, it was four top 10 teams. So this this rarely happens. It's it's crazy, like this type of stuff. Then the Mountain West, and we'll kind of go through the standings and stuff too. 
So, obviously, we mentioned San Diego State lost over the weekend. We'll get to those games in a moment. We'll go in our normal order. But standing-wise, um, you tweeted out, um, Fresno State is first place in the West Division, right? Is that correct? Am I, am I eyes correct on this, Reno? Your eyes do not deceive you. They are three and zero in the conference, and they're out they're outscoring out opponents one hundred six to thirty one. So mentioned ten points a game. That's pretty good. It is pretty good. And then you got well, I guess what else we got? San Diego State. They're obviously we already mentioned them. The only team overall I think where where we expected them to be is probably just Colorado State. Maybe yeah, just CSU at three and zero in conference play. That's it. Everybody else sort of unexpected to be where they're at. I mean, I think maybe I had a little more confidence in Boise State than you did. Obviously, I, I, I didn't think they would beat San Diego State, which we'll get to at some point in the podcast. But, you know, I kind of thought they'd be in the mix. I think the biggest surprise from the undefeated teams left in the Mountain Division definitely won. I mean, that Utah State-Wyoming game. We'll get, again, we'll, get, we'll kind of sprinkle in some stuff here, but that first pick for Josh Allen, holy crap, that was awful. <laughs> <laughs> that was like the worst pass I've ever seen. I'm like, what are you doing? He throws a bad pass. They they hold off for victory, but the way they've been playing versus Oregon versus Iowa and the other games they've played, they're sitting at four and two. But look at Air Force. They have they came back against what was where were they down twenty seven zero. The I think I read the stat somewhere. The only the second team to, this year in FBS versus FBS to come back from a twenty seven point deficit and become victorious. Mm-hmm. I, for, I forget the other team. Um, I don't remember, but like I tweeted, that's the UNLV, UNLV defense we know, right? <laughs> We'll get to that. And then, what, anything else really quick, standings? Uh, San Jose State lost. And, by the way, we're both correct in San Jose State a little bit about him not mentioning Josh Al- Josh Love, excuse me, about a quarterback. <laughs> and then, hey, Nevada, why aren't you playing tight games in week one? Come on. Told you, right? We'll talk a little bit more about that once we start jumping into the games. Should we get to sure. should we, anything else? Should we get to games now? Or to tweets, right? We want some tweets, right? How people are doing. Yeah, we uh, we tried to gauge maybe play the uh, the online therapist for some teams out there, but we wanted to know how are you feeling about your team on Sunday morning? It's a mixed bag, right? Obviously, it is a mixed bag. Yes, I'll start this one from Jordan underscore Eck E C K. Utah State needs a QB change, maybe a coaching change too, which could be accurate after Jordan Love came in and didn't play much better than Kent Myers. So mm-hmm. we got that. What else we got, Matt? Um, let's see. I'm trying to scroll down a little bit here. There was somebody, I forget the screen name, who their only reply was a bunch of like vomit faces. <laughs> a sick or face, like, perhaps? Or like, or like green, green vomit faces. Yeah. Yeah, sick face. Uh, that's probably, I assume that's Aztec fan. We also got uh, some guy replied with a safety dance because we did have a safety that Wyoming game. Our yeah, good buddy uh, Thor, Thor Stevenson. Yeah, Thor's always uh, interact on Twitter. Who else we got? Uh, here's one for first note fan Patrick Hoffman. Uh, what is it, Big Kurt Hoffman on Twitter? He didn't quote tweet, mm-hmm. so he didn't follow directions, but we'll still give him a shout-out. No, 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 I said, I said you could reply. Oh, okay, I just saw quote tweet. Okay, he mentions when someone tells you it can't be done, it's more a reflection of their limitations, not yours. The dog's defense looked amazing last night, which they did. Shut down the Lobo's rushing attack to basically nothing. Um, what else we got here? Nevada saying impressive despite a loss. Future looks bright for Matthew uh, MW. I like this Twitter, MW underscore tax law. Do we need to get him for tax purposes, perhaps? Give him a call? Perhaps. I may make, need sure tax. Our, make sure our guacamole money's in order. Exactly. We need somebody in charge, right? Uh, what else we got? <laughs> um, uh, let's see here. I'm trying to scroll through as well. The Force Awakens from our good buddy, fake uh, Matt Mummy, who also crushed last week on fantasy football in our college edition. So 
Sorry, Matt, but we beat Matt. Matt there you go. But he he's excited. Force Awakens, that's a pretty good one. I guess. I guess Star Wars let's last year and a half ago, but still relevant, right? That makes sense. Mm-hmm. Anything else I'm missing? We got the Ski Wookiee. That's the one you're thinking of. From well, Kyle, Kyle Atkinson, 13, said he felt pretty good about the Cowboys. Ugly, but a, but a win is a win. Yeah, the D there it is. D something special. All right, can never count Allen out. Well, I sort of have. So <laughs> I'm just saying that first pick, awful. Um, Colorado State fans expected this from was it N eight N Haas there. So a lot of different responses. A lot of good stuff going on. Um, right. So we get to the games now, I guess. Let's do it. We got the shoutouts. All right, here we go. Game recaps, and as I don't have my schedule in front of me, let's start with um, Air well, Force. The first, U- yeah, the Air- first game of the day was Air Force. I heard a a Cam Newton reference in the broadcast again. Uh Uh-huh. Why? Is that still hot? Why is that a thing? Well, you know, he did look pretty good in the first half. As did the rest of the as did the rest of the UNLV offense. But then they went home or something happened. Well, I mean what happened is, you know, Air Force was basically able to flip the script in the second half. Like if you if you look at the numbers of the game you know, what actually happened is that Air Force ended up outgaining UNLV as far as total offense. But, you know, if you look at it, it's basically a tale of two halves where in the first half, especially, you know, UNLV was right on it. You know, they had over 300 yards in the first half. And, you know, they had, you know, a two to one yardage advantage over Air Force. And then after halftime, Air Force basically had a three to one yardage advantage. And, you know, I think the biggest difference was probably Rogers himself because in that first half, he was seven of 13 for 107 yards. You know, he was a big reason they were able to move the ball both with his arm and with his feet. And he just didn't get it done in the second half. You know, he was only five of 14. The rebels were zero of six on third downs after halftime. So, you know, it's just one of those things where it's it's going to be a loss, I think, that this team is going to feel for a while. You know, you can call it a learning experience for someone like Rodgers, who's, you know, all things considered, is still a redshirt freshman, still has a lot of promise in front of him. But this was just an instance where he didn't make enough plays when they needed to. And yeah, and he ran for he, him and Worthman, quarterbacks, 148 to 166. Yeah, I remember the one first half run. He like carried like six guys to like the one yard line on Air Force defenders. He moved the ball well on the ground, but mm-hmm. like you said, his second half passing wasn't very good. Air Force figures something out. Worthman had a five touchdowns in the game, which he'll probably be. I'm assuming player of the week. I take a quick look, but anytime you get five touchdowns, that's the case. But, like Rogers looked okay, like I said the first half, but Lexington Thomas still had 91 yards for them. They had big plays. They ran the ball well. It's just that they put all their numbers were there in the first half. Second half, because I kind of tuned away from it because I'm seeing, oh, okay, they're up 27-0, 27-7. And I see late in the third quarter, start of the fourth, I'm like, oh, it's a game. Just like Air Force New Mexico last week where Air Force was down. Then they tried to make a big comeback. And it didn't happen. But, again, like you said, Rodgers, he only completed five second half passes. He he only went down the field once. Had that, and the only long reception was a – Lexington Thomas pass. I'm assuming that was a short pass to the running back, so he had no downfield threat against his Air Force secondary, and that's something you got to take advantage of, just because you can't just throw a short pass, short pass for ten yards every time. And I mean, I think another thing that might get overlooked is that 
it, it might sound kind of odd to say, they didn't take full advantage of all the opportunities that were given to them. Because, you know, for as well as the offense played in the first half, the defense played really well in that first half too. And they forced four Air Force turnovers. Do you want to know how many points they had off those turnovers? Zero, I'm betting. No, that was no, not, I'm just saying, it I'm wasn't saying quite they, that bad. But, <laughs> they, but, you know, they forced four turnovers in the game and they only got 10 points out of it. Yeah, okay. I, I was just going to be facetious there. I knew it wasn't many. Wasn't all first? Yeah, it was all first half points, I believe, too. Well, it was right. There were two of them in the first half and two of them in the, or rather, sorry, there was a turnover on downs in the first half. So if you want to include that, you could say they forced five turnovers. But, you know, after the turnover on downs, they only managed a fuel goal. After the first fumble, that was when they got their only touchdown off of a turnover. And then the three fumbles that Air Force had after that, you know, you had drives starting at the 43, the 20, and the 42 on Air Force's side of the field. And they got three points. That's just not going to get done. And consider the onside kick they did. Oh, yeah. Onside kick, only go four yards for a field goal. So there's – it's kind of like, not to go back to the Howard game, but was it like their first – Three or four, a lot, some, a good, a high percentage of possessions ended up in field goals and not touchdowns. Mm-hmm. So they're up fourteen, zero going for the kill. They still got points, but it's still a gutsy play call to do that early, and they still got points out of it. But they're sitting at the in the in the inside the ten, and they only get it like you said there. Like look at this position, like they could have been up twenty eight zero before because they get to the six yard line, kick a field goal, the turnover on downs you mentioned, get a field goal, and that was sitting at. It could have been a touchdown. I'm not saying get a touchdown, but you're that close. You stop Air Force in that deep in the territory and only go. They do have a good drive, seven plays, 45 yards. But again, you get to the 10-yard line. And then there's a fumble. They could have been at the half 35-7 or something like that. A lot more points. They love points Mm -hmm. on the board. Yeah. And then, you know, in the same way where Air Force really struggled to kind of keep the chains moving in the first half. You know, that, that I think is a credit to UNLV's really young defense. And, you know, they got guys who are going to grow into what I, th- I think they're going to be pretty good players. Like Farrell Hester, for example, he got his first start, I believe, last week. And he was already out there leading the team in tackles. And he was one of those guys who was credited with a forced fumble. He's a freshman. You know, he's going to be the kind of guy that this defense can build around in the long run. But if you look at but if you look at what Air Force was able to do in the first half, you know this was when UNLV was really forcing them, you know, into you know punting situations because in the first half they were I'm trying to look at what they were one of five on third downs in the first half and one of two on fourth downs, but after halftime they were five and seven and two of two, and those are the kinds of plays where if you really look at what they were able to do, they just couldn't get Air Force off the field. Yeah, they could, like look in the second half drives. Like after the first, like again, missed opportunities, fumble, punt, fumble, field goal. Air Force fumble twice there, obviously. Then Air Force has a ten play touchdown drive. Then they go have another eleven play touchdown drive. They they're they're down three points. They fumble it on a ten play drive, but UNLV fumbles right back to mm-hmm. give a touchdown. So a lot lot of long, excuse me, a lot of long drives on there. But it's Air Force teams not. Like they come back, that's great, but they haven't been consistent this year. They've been doing this too often. Versus New Mexico, they had to do the same type of thing. They uh, struck, but then they play close to San Diego State to have a big lead. They play both ends. They'll get up big, or get up a decent amount and give it up. Like Aztecs a little bit. That monsoon game's a bit different, but 
Both teams will be good, but this is also Air Force's first victory over an FBS team. That's true. And they're sitting at two and four, and uh, I don't know if we'll, we don't need to get to bowl stuff now, but like I thought if UNLV wins, they could get a bowl game, but they're sitting at two and four, maybe. Nevada's looking way better, so that's not a guarantee at CSU. Maybe Army. At Utah State, probably. It's going to be close to the Air Force if they're going to make a bowl game. They still have half the season left, but I don't know if they can go 4-2 and two the rest of the way. You know, I think if they can kind of – if they can hold on to their defensive gains because, you know, we kind of knew going in what or what UNLV was going to want to do. They were going to want to run the football. And they showed in the second half that they could stop the run a little bit. So if they could hang on to that, that – I think makes them a really interesting team going forward because, you know, Nevada kind of runs the ball and fits and starts. They get to play next week. But then after that, you get Colorado state and army and Wyoming. So I guess we'll, I guess we'll see. That'll be interesting here. All right. Next game. Should we go? Um, what's next on the list? Actually, is it, uh, Utah that would state? be, that would be the battle for Bridger's rifle. Yeah. I've been to Fort Bridger, which according to the broadcast on, um, on Facebook, they were asking the announcers, or the announcers were trying to explain why these two teams play for a rifle. And apparently the guy said something to the effect of, well, there was a guy named Bridger, and he had a rifle. <sighs> Spot on presentation there. Where's your research, buddy? Jim Bridger, <laughs> he is a kind of a frontier explorer type guy. Who There's a reason it's named Fort Bridger. It's right on the border of Utah and Wyoming, where for those who are from where I'm at, if you People are familiar with Park City, the ski resorts, everything. You mm-hmm. go through there. There's the Wyoming's right near, not too far beyond there. You pass over this town called Evanston, and then you're a good 20 miles out there, and there's this thing, place called Fort Bridger where they do some sort of festival every year. My brother had some restaurant, food truck thing, so I'd help him out years ago. Spent a week over Labor Day, make some good money. But it's like the Fort Bridger. So he's like an explorer guy through Wyoming and Utah. That's who he is. He was part of Utah and part of Wyoming from where he discovered because – the border of Utah and where Fort Bridger is, is reasonably close. So that's a better explanation without me even looking it up. And they had time to do so. But for the ga- yeah, thank <laughs> you. But for the game itself, Josh Allen's first pass, not so good. Terrible interception. I'm like, is this, is this going to happen again? Terrible interception on the first drive. Is Utah state going to uh, take advantage and do anything and score some points? They got a field goal out of it, but that's about it. <laughs> Well, and let's not discredit Allen too much because, you know, the first throw, not great on the game, though. Pretty decent. You know, 18 of 26, 208 yards and a touchdown after that first interception. Not bad. But, yeah, it's just like when I I saw it, I'm like, is this going to happen again where he's just terrible Josh Allen making dumb plays? Because it was a play where he was sort of trying to throw it away, but he didn't do a good job throwing it away. He threw it to the sideline, but it's still too much in. It's Mm -hmm. like you're rolling and rolling, just chuck it. Just make sure it goes beyond the line of scrimmage because I think he'll still in the pocket area. And so just throw it as far as you can downfield. It's like, come on. You don't need to needle it down the sideline to hit the GA on the side on the GA or something. Just throw it out of bounds. Get it past the marker and don't keep it in play. Give them zero chance to catch the ball you're throwing throw away. Yeah, I mean, on the whole, like it wasn't a great game for the Wyoming offense. Like by a lot of metrics, they were kind of in fits and starts. And actually Utah State by the slimmest of margins, actually beat them as far as yards per play. You know, they outgained them as far as raw yardage. There was 363 for the Aggies and 293 for the for the Cowboys. But, you know, they also ran more plays too, so it ended up being 4.8 per 
for Utah State and 4.7 for Wyoming. So, like, you know, they didn't really get the running game going, which is not great. You know, Trey Woods had 15 carries, only 40 yards. They did have some nice chunk plays down, you know, down the field every so often. C.J. Johnson had a his lone catch was a 28-yard touchdown. James Price had a couple of nice long catches. But this game wasn't really about the Wyoming offense. It was about the defense. Yeah, that, and like we said before, the defense is going to be better than the offense. Like, look at, look at what they did against uh, – because they had Kent Myers. They brought in Jordan Love to play quarterback who – three picks. And, not and he, good. Not good. Kent Myers did okay, like only 94 yards, but he wasn't turning the ball over but not scoring either. But like, look at what the defense and, – and that doesn't include three picks plus two fumbles they gave up as well. So – was that right? Five total turnovers. The Wyoming defense forced, I believe. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, it's interesting. The de- Wyoming's defense is good. When Andrew Wingard leads your team in tackles at 15, that's kind of a lot for a DB to get that. But they had, they were getting after Love and every and Myers. They had seven TFLs, three sacks, a couple QB hurries, which I think the two is generous I, or not enough. They should have had more than that, I believe, if I recall. But their defense just stopped them at will. And Utah State, they're talking about running game, like what they're going to do. I mentioned last week it maybe El Toro Allen's on the outs. He did. He only had one run. It is Lawan Hunt being the main guy. Seventy three yards isn't terrible. That's not bad. Eighteen for seventy three. But the defense, Utah State was never comfortable watching the pass or run the ball. The only play they had, did you see the end around wide receiver pass? I did. Maybe Aaron Vaughn should be the next quarterback because that was right on the money for a pass. That's, yeah, it, it was a, it was a we're drag. seeing a lot of that recently yeah, and it was a good pass too it wasn't a little floater where the guy's wide open it was he had to get it over the, the far shoulder and above the db and he got it right there perfect catch for a touchdown the uh, 29 yarder to um roberts there um uh, braylon roberts but you're right the defense well i mean outside of that that's like the only i know they scored 23 points but five turnovers come on well i mean probably should have won by more points well i mean yes and no i mean i think it's also more fair to say that Utah State maybe kind of game, gave this game away because, like, we know their special teams are pretty good. Dominic Everly might be the best kicker in the conference. You know, I think he's up to 13 of 14 on the year, and he was 3 for 3 yesterday, including a long 49. So they were putting him in position to succeed, and he was able to kind of convert those those opportunities. But, I mean, I feel like this is the kind of situation where you you kind of feel bad for the defense because, you know, you could see some, like, really good individual performances. Like, you know, for instance, Jalen Davis didn't have an interception, but he did have a sack. You know, Suli Tamaivena had two sacks, and he had 14 total tackles. So they were really able to keep Wyoming in check. You know, there, this was a really back-and-forth battle, and the offense just was not great all afternoon long. And so, you know, I think the lingering question is like, what are they going to do about it at this point? Are they going to go back to Myers? Are they going to stick with Jordan love and hope it shakes out? Like, what do you think the answer is going forward? Well, love had three picks. So clearly he didn't play. Here's the thing. Eight of 18, three picks. And they've been bringing in Jordan love in occasionally throughout the game. It's not like it's a one time. Oh, bring him in because Myers isn't playing well. He's been playing snaps consistently since basically every game, I believe. Mm-hmm. He's been playing quite a bit. So I, here's the thing. The running game, I guess it's okay with the one hunt, so that helps. It's not great, but it's okay. I don't know what to do with Kent Myers. Is. He's an experienced quarterback who should be playing better than what he is. And that's, 
it's hard to say. He's a senior. He, like, remember, we talked about years ago when he came in as a fifth-string quarterback and went, like, 4-1 and one when Utah State had a million injuries to, like, Daryl Garrettson, Chucky Keaton, and whoever else was in front of him. I think they have a million guys ahead of him. He goes in and goes, like, 4-1, and one, and he's played off and on. And I don't know. It's like you want to give him a chance, and I thought they would, but they brought in love, I believe, every game. Because remember, was it um, when Chucky Keaton's last year, they split time with him a ton. And last year, Myers was hurt and missed some games as well. So he's never really had a whole season to himself. And so that's, that's kind of an issue as well. But I, I don't know. I'd still stick with Myers because had Love not thrown any picks. Just say he had the same numbers, no touchdowns, same completion percentage, but no picks. Maybe go to him. But he threw three interceptions. How can you go against keep a guy in there who has three picks? That's a really good question. So I, I don't know what they're going to do. I I would say stick with Kent Myers. He was named your starter for a reason, and you haven't – think about it. You haven't really given him a chance to be the guy. You're bringing in love every single time. It's like – it's like like go back – you know Fresno, what, what they've been doing the past couple of years with Dave Schramm there. They were hooking mm-hmm. quarterbacks left and right. You can't work that way and expect a guy to be good because at this point, if you're bringing a guy – it's different if he's coming in for like pregame. All right, he's going to come in for – these type of situations where, you know, okay, he might come in for five, maybe 10 snaps, like just a little bit, just to try something different. Cause just to mix it up a little bit. So you're aware this could happen throughout the game, but this isn't that this is, he comes in, he's going to throw and play a lot of carries. You can't, cause now Meyer's like, okay, I have incomplete pass. I got sacked or I did a bad play. I might get pulled out. It's those type of things that really hurts you. And Give the guy a chance. They're not really giving him a chance. Look at all the teams this year. Look what finally we'll get to Nevada in a second. Look what Ty Gangy's doing now, knowing he's the guy the rest of the way, from what it seems like. He's the man. He's played very well the past couple games. When you know you're the guy, that might be why Brent Rippon's struggling, because they're bringing a Montel Cozart every other play. That can't happen. It can't work very well. So I say stick stick with Myers. That's my plan. Give him a full game. So are you saying overall that you mostly subscribe to the theory that when you have two quarterbacks, you have none? Y'all, you never have that many unless it's a running quarterback. Like if I you're mean, gonna, yeah, but it, yes, I agree because it's not just that, but it's just like you're not giving them a chance. And it seems like there's no set play because, like I said, if you're going to bring in a guy for a handful of carries for the Wildcat, whatever you want to call it, that's one thing. But they're not doing that. They're bringing them in to fix the game, and it's not fixing anything. I mean, I think one thing to maybe watch for, and maybe we can talk a little bit further when we get into next week's preview, is that it seemed like, at least in this game, Myers was most successful when he was hooking up with Dax Raymond, who, if I'm not mistaken, this game was probably his best performance of the year so far. And, you know, five catches, 72 yards may not look like much, but he did lead the team in targets as well. They ended up throwing to him nine times, both Myers and Love combined. Maybe, you know, that's an element that this offense really needs as a, as a tight end who knows how to stretch the field a little bit because Myers really didn't find any chunk plays down the field. He didn't create any plays beyond those completions to Raymond. Like even so, Tarver had one for three. That's it. And he should be your big play guy, your big receiver. Yeah. So maybe that's something to watch going forward because if Utah State has a weapon at tight end, like, how many other tight ends in the conference besides maybe Jake Rowe can you think of that have made a really big difference in any offense so far? David Wells, San Diego State. Yeah, I guess that's true. And Wyatt Demps, is he a tight end with Nevada, I think? Is he officially a tight end or is he a receiver? He's a receiver. Okay. I Maybe as a good advisor, I'm thinking. But you're right, there's not many. It's a relatively rare asset that Utah State has on its hands. So it'll be interesting to see if they try to get him more work down the field. 
Yeah, really quick. Here's what he's done all season. He didn't play versus Wisconsin. He's had Wake Forest was his worst game where he played one for eight. Every other game, he's had 45 or more yards and at least two receptions. So he's been it, steady. Yeah, he's been steady, like 56, 47, 57, 45, 72. Past two games were his best receiving-wise with six and five receptions each. Mm-hmm. And he's averaging well over 10 yards per reception. About four, looks like a, a conference play, about 12 over. Season, okay, season here it is, 13 and a half yards per catch. Okay. You don't want to give him too many more passes, but he is the consistent receiver on this team. When he gets three to five catches per game, he's going to get you. That's why he's going to get you, three to five and about 50 yards. That's solid. That's good for a tight end. And occasionally he'll fall in the end zone. He has one versus BYU, but that's about it. So, but they have the way they're playing this offense. You're right. Like they want to spread it out. You can't, if you have a tight end who can cover the middle of the field, get something mid range, like he is 10 to 14 yards. You got to use him. Maybe get him a couple more passes that way. It's just, there's no fix for the offense. I think that fix for the offense is the quarterback because running game, it's okay. Like, if they're going to stick with Hunt, 70-something yards is okay. You know, Myers will get a few yards in the ground. Maybe Allen should get maybe at least five carries a game or five touches. But it, I think it's all the quarterback play when you're switching around. And in this offense where you're going to throw that much, it's hard for receivers to come in where you're loves in, uh, Myers in, love Myers, love Myers, where you get handful of throws here or there. But I think it comes down to the quarterback and give Myers a chance to play it out. He didn't turn the ball over. So why is he getting pulled? That's a good question. All right, so let's move on. Next game, I closed on my tabs here. Um, New Mexico, let's go to New Mexico, Fresno State. Oh, boy, you want to start us out with this one? Well, I guess we should probably start by mentioning that Fresno State rolled the Lobos 38 to nothing. Really uh, remarkable in a lot of respects. It is. They they held New Mexico to 109 total rushing yards. More importantly, they held them under three yards of carry for the first time in two years. Wow. That's pretty or good. Rather that, or rather the last time that anybody had held New Mexico under three yards of carry was two years ago. Who was that? Do you have that offhand? Uh, if I remember correctly, I didn't write it in the recap that I wrote, but I'm pretty sure it was Air Force that, that managed to do that. Under three yards per carry, you said? Yeah. I got it. 2015, it was... Or it was oh, Utah State. Yeah, Utah me. State, 2015, 132 yards. This 108 yards is the fewest since probably Bob Davey took over. Because 2013, oh, sorry, this is a boring podcast here, 2012. The This is the fewest yards they had since they played Texas Tech 2012, where they lost 49-14 to 14 and gained only 84 yards. It's kind of a big deal, right? Yeah, first time in five years. And they don't go under 200 yards very often either, because really quick, looking at that year, this is nuts. I think that's Bob Davies' first year, 2012. Yeah, it has to be. 2012. They rushed for over 300 yards, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10 other 12 games. Yeah, so I mean, like... Big deal. You know, the, the, the stat sheet doesn't necessarily blow you away. Like, the Lobos only ran it 37 times. The, uh, the Bulldogs only had five tackles for loss. But the most important thing is that they didn't really find any explosive plays on the ground. Like they had one 14 yard run in the first quarter from Daryl Chestnut and, you know, a 10 yard quarterback scramble from Takava Tuioti in the third quarter. And that was it. Like it's really hard to be disciplined against this option offense and the defense, which, you know, I had written down that I didn't know exactly how good the run defense was like it was a really remarkable job that these guys did up front, especially in the front seven. You know, we're talking about guys like Jeffrey Allison, who very quietly is having a very good year. 
you know, and they continued to force fumbles or force opportunities, create turnovers and stuff. You know, they had, I believe, one interception off a tip drill, which at least anecdotally, it seems like they've been like exceedingly good at <laughs> at grabbing those tip drill interceptions. But, you know, they also forced a fumble. I believe it was James Bailey who forced it and Mike Bell who recovered it. Like this defense is, you know, light years better than it was last year. And it wasn't even that bad if you really dug into the numbers last year. A lot of what obscured last year's production is because the offense was so bad. But you're kind of seeing what these guys can do with an offense that can actually move the ball on occasion. Yeah, last year, no, it's interesting. I know yards per play basis or defense last year is better. Or no, sorry, five seven two. Uh, no, I'm sorry, I was looking at it wrong. Sorry. Yeah, they're giving up under five yards per play last year, five point seven. But you're right, like the offense. Um, I guess this is the, the exception to the rule with the grad transfer QB playing well. With Marcus McMarion, what do you go two ninety nine on thirteen completions, mind you, two ninety nine and three touchdowns, two receivers over hundred yards. Two seventy yards plus yard plays, at least five over twenty two yards or more. He was going downfield a lot. Yeah, and and if you look at the highlights, you know there was a seventy yard touchdown to Jameer Jordan, where I think the nearest defender was like five or six yards behind Jordan. Like he just basically ran, basically ran a post or something like that, and was just open for days. And then you know he had a similar kind of throw to Keyshawn Johnson that was nearly a touchdown, except. Um, he ended up stepping out of bounds very next play though. You know, he ends up one handing it in the, in the corner of the end zone. And it was, if I'm not mistaken, I didn't actually watch yesterday's sports center, but I think it was actually number two in the top 10. There you go. So, you know, he was finding receivers down the field and this was, you know, to me kind of like the Nevada game, kind of like the San Jose state game. He wasn't perfect, but you know, he was, in that first half, I'm trying to look at the at the numbers real quick. In the first half, he was 10 of 13, 216 yards. So while there are some things I think that he still needs to work on, you know, because for instance, he wasn't nearly as good in the second half. It's just that New Mexico wasn't really able to do anything offensively, but he was only 3 of 10 for 83 yards. So yeah, they were able to find some plays down the field, just not terribly accurate. And interestingly enough, he didn't convert a single third down through the air. Huh. Like, on the game, I think they were only, what were they? They were 4 of 13. But they didn't complete a single passing third down. So, while the the big plays do mask that a little bit, it is something to keep an eye on going forward. But overall, kind of hard to argue with the results. No kidding. Like, there, nobody, like, nobody thought this would happen. Like, you and me, I think I predicted one win in the preseason for Fresno State, maybe two. Mm-hmm. Because they were just, they are just that awful last year. Like, we knew they had some good receivers, and you kind of mentioned secondary should be a bit better, but the running game is getting better. And what's up with, um, oh, never mind. Sorry, I was thinking of this receiver, not a running back. So, really quick, the running game, really quick, before I get to my thought, is Ronnie Rivers, he okay, or? Or are they just spreading it out to give it to Hokit or Mims more carries just because they're actually being better than um, well, Rivers? Or what's Rivers, the deal with that? Rivers got banged up on a punt return. I believe it was in uh, in the third quarter, I believe. Okay. Yeah, they were already up pretty big, so you know you could maybe question why he was still out there returning punts. But you know he got nicked up. Um, as far as I know, his status is still kind of up in the air going forward. But 
I think if you can be encouraged by anything, it's the fact that the running game was more consistent for 60 minutes than it had been in pretty much any game this year. Yeah, And a lot of that credit goes to guys like Josh Hokett and Jordan Mims, who were pretty able to, you know, they were able to effectively salt the game away late. You know, they, Hokett ended up leading the team with 70 yards. Mims added another 65. And McMarion had his own 57-yard run for good measure. So, you know, that's a credit, I think, to how balanced this offense wanted to be and what it can do against a defense that, you know, looked pretty good a couple of weeks ago against Tulsa. But now there might be some questions that are still lingering. Wait, did you see how many points Tulsa put up this weekend? I did not. Hold on. I mean, I think they put up like 40 plus points or somehow after getting shut out for however many weeks. Um, yeah, they beat Houston 45 to 17. Oh, wow. <laughs> I don't know. I saw the score. I'm like, how is that possible? Because Houston's pretty good and Tulsa's offense has not been good. So, But, you know, on the flip side, I mean, I guess I can understand why the Lobos would want to turn to Tuioti once they were down 21 to nothing. But, you know, he didn't exactly cover himself in glory. Like, he was two, he had 200 yards, yes. He was 13 of 24. But, you know, the switch at quarterback just never really made that much of a difference. Yeah, it's not like the New Mexico State game where he came in and helped lead them back to a near victory. Yeah. So what's up with that? So we got New Mexico, a lot of quarterback situation going on. Jordan didn't run the ball well. He only had four carries, no yards overall. I guess four four long, but didn't throw the ball well. Are they going to stick with Jordan because he did when they brought in the backup Tuioti? He did throw for two hundred yards, pretty good percentage, I mean, I, but had a pick. Like they couldn't get down the field for touchdowns. Yeah, like they did have some moments where they had you know some success. You know, Tuioti ended up having all five of the plays over fifteen plus yards. And they weren't, like, just barely 15 yards either. Like, he had a 44-yard completion to Delane Hart-Johnson. He had a 36-yard completion to Q Drennan. That was, you know, to me, probably as good as the catches that Johnson made in the end zone on the other end. So they had some success. He was just really erratic. Like, it was either they were getting all or nothing, essentially. Which, you know, when you look at the fact they were only 2 of 14 on third downs... You know, the same thing I said about McMarion not being able to convert third downs. Tuioti didn't either. Like, he only had one completion that went for a third down, or excuse me, a first down. And that was in the fourth quarter when the game was basically already out of reach. So, you know, both of these teams kind of had similar problems coming in. For one team, though, because they were so productive on first and second down, it didn't matter. Let me ask you this, because we're pretty much the game. We're wrapped up talking about the game. So when I do my quarterback rankings this week, where should I put McMarion, you think? So I mean, he... I think that's a really good question, because, you know, now he's got three He's got three starts under his belt. And if you look at what he's done, at least by quarterback rating, he's number one in the conference now. Overall or in conference play? In conference. Well, no, no, actually overall. Like, it's because it's... Uh, 75% of the team's games and a minimum of 15 pass attempts per game. So I don't think he qualified last week, but he qualifies now. Okay, I see it now. And he's just barely better than Nick Stevens. I mean, I think you could probably keep Stevens at number one. We'll talk about him in a moment. Mm -hmm. But I think he's probably got to be top three. I guess he had him last week. I think I moved him up to five last week because part of it, okay, Nevada, San Jose State, not the best defenses, mm-hmm. but and 
play in New Mexico. Not that New Mexico's defense is anything spectacular, but he's been consistent doing it. But I would say Stevens. I I would think Chapman because I had Chapman at two. But like I said, we'll get to his game momentarily soon in Boise State. He didn't play. He had to, he had a lot of his plate. Didn't play that well. Maybe I don't know. We'll see. Um, Aaron Worthman might move up again, but maybe number two. Was that too much to ask for? Is he better than Drew Brown? That's probably my point where I'm probably going to stick him around Drew Brown range. I mean, I think that he's definitely shown that he can take care of the football a little bit better than Drew Brown can. For sure. I think they're probably able to create explosive plays at about the same rate. You know, and looking at their completion percentage, it's basically uh, – what am I looking at right now? It's close. McMarion's is a little bit better, by, but it's only by like a percentage point or two. And McMarion's yards per attempt, at least for the moment, is slightly better as well. So I think you could make an argument one way or the other. The only concern I have for completion percentage is skewed a little bit mm-hmm. because he went that, okay, not to discount it, but 6-7, 5-7 versus Alabama incarnate word. Oh, yeah, I know. It's, it's a little but still, he's still at 65%. He, he completed 75% against Nevada. And so it's it's gonna dip, but sixty five. He did Washington ten of sixteen when he was he the starter of that full game, or did he come in part way through? In Washington, yeah. No, he played the second half. I okay. mean, if you want to look at it by conference play only, because they um, McMarion's played three games, Brown has played four. Mm-hmm. Uh, in conference play, Brown's completion percentage is slightly better. McMarion's yards per attempt is slightly better, and his touchdown to interception ratio is a little bit better as well. Okay. All right. We'll get to that later. It'd be interesting because he's actually turning it up. And really quick, um, what's your confidence level of um, – are you buying your bowl game tickets, Matt? <laughs> I will reserve judgment for now. Hey, first place is on the line next week in San Diego. Who would have thought, right? Nobody would have thought. <laughs> Do we have lines up for that game yet? I doubt they're out yet, but since we're still early afternoon here on Sunday. But going uh... – Stall for a minute, and I can look it up as we have really riveting. Let me ask you, sir, are you going to try to go to that game now since it's an interesting matchup? Is there a chance you can make the drive down to Southern California? No, I'm going to have too much on my plate. Uh, no line yet, it looks like. I'm looking there, too, so that's okay. That It'll be a good one. We'll see. We'll get those. You post those up on Twitter soon today, so we'll get those out. But if you were to guess, I would still say Asics probably might be like a 10-point favorite. I think it might be a little bit closer than that. A little closer? Okay. I would say maybe minus seven, seven and a half, something I, like that. I can see that too. I'd be, yeah, between seven and ten makes sense because big win for Fresno, loss for uh, San Diego State. So there might be a little bit, they might want to, I bet him what will happen because you know how the lines work. It's like, who's going to put money on? I think it'll start lower but go up because they'll want to put uh, one fan base is excited and one is not. And so they'll stick it in that range where maybe pessimistic Aztec fans or optimistic, whatever, like, I'm thinking, I th- I think it'll get closer to ten, but I think a touchdown probably where it starts off at. Yeah, yeah. Should we just go into the Aztec game right now? Let's do it. Can I tell you? I told you there'd be a special teams touchdown. <laughs> you did. <laughs> I have a lot of decent calls, but the final score is not one of them. Would I predict forty to ten or something? Uh, well, I think yeah, actually something something ridiculous, <laughs> something ridiculous. Um. All I can say is this, Boise State's defense showed up where they've been inconsistent the past couple of weeks. Like, when they played BYU, they played well, stopping the running game. But we knew BYU's running and passing game wasn't all that great. But they stopped Pumphrey to 53 yards, and half of that came on one carry. 
Christian Chapman could never find his feet. And again, they list um, one QB hurry for Boise State. That's got to be inaccurate. Mm-hmm. Chapman was getting crushed and r- running for his life all night. But this is defense we saw versus three-plus quarters versus Washington State versus Troy. Like, they came out and were just getting after everything and anything Aztecs were throwing their way, and San Diego State could never get comfortable. And before you know it, they got that kind of fluky uh, – not fluky, but just interesting-looking defensive touchdown where Penny thought it was a forward pass and kind of stopped. When Chapman, for some reason, didn't go down with the ball, decided to try to chuck it to Penny right there. You're down 14-0. You get the special teams touchdown. Then they score on their own Boise State fighting. Did you know it was 14-0 before Boise got a first down mm-hmm. in this game? I did. That's I think it was any, was it any first down or just a Boise first down? One of the two. Regardless, the offenses were not moving well in the first quarter <laughs> by either side. I mean, let's not beat around the bush. This was a tour de force by the Boise yeah. State defense. And a lot of it comes down to the fact that they held Penny to so few yards. And in in the first half, especially when they were building this lead, that was really where they did their best work. Because in that first half, they ended up having four sacks. And like you said, Chapman was kind of running for his life pretty much the entire time. And they ended up having 12 tackles for loss, 10 of which came in that first half. And it was one of those things where you looked at the stat line and you're like, wait a minute. Like if, if you weren't someone who followed San Diego state, or Boise state very closely, you might've thought it was a typo because in the first half, you know, I don't know what it was excluding sacks, but if you look at the raw stat line, 22 carries in the first half, 19 yards. There is nothing going for Aztec's way. And that led to Chapman. And I've said before, not to, not to harp on him, but this kind of proves my point a little bit that they don't have the passing attack, whether it's him receiving and even the offensive line not doing all that great for the most part. Like he's This is not a team built where he threw 27 times. Yes, he had a pretty good at 12 completions for 240 yards. This is not an offense that built to beat you through the air. Despite him, beside, like, look at Trevely on 128 yards, had a very nice long touchdown pass of 89. But this team, where you had to set, they couldn't play action, and Boise State knew they were going to throw the ball a lot because the running game wasn't working. So they abandoned play action, and there was nothing that could be done. And this is, and Boise's offense wasn't much better, really, if you think about it. Like, look at the passing game, it was terrible for Boise State. I mean, it wasn't, I don't know if I'd say terrible, but, you know, Brett Rippon wasn't. I mean, he still didn't look like the Brett Rippon of old because, yeah, he was 11 of 19, only 72 yards, though. And, you know, by you know raw yardage, it was basically even as far as total offense is concerned. But, you know, the big difference, I think, between Boise now and Boise a month ago is Alexander Madison, who yeah, kind of looks like the guy I think we all expected him to be all along now. Back-to-back 100-yard rushing games. He looked really good. And maybe those guys right last week I was kind of chatted or listened in with uh, from the Statesman and uh, Tribune of the Nido saying maybe it looks like he's finally healthy. And he proved, like, this defense, like, outside of Bryce Love, they're not getting many yards against Aztecs defense. And he had 128 touchdown. They had two couple long runs. Rippon had bust off one as well. But that's their main difference. Defense picked it up after a little lull versus Virginia. And then Madison's just healthy. And that, that is the main difference. They just got to figure out what they're going to do with quarterback. And as I mentioned last couple recaps, stick with one guy. I see no, again, I see no reason for Kozar to be in the game. I don't care. He should not be playing. 
And I mean, you know, one thing that we talked about in the in the preview was that I thought this would be a really big moment for the linebackers. And those guys really stepped up. Like, we haven't really talked about Jabril Frazier a lot this year, but this was kind of his game. You know, he had two of those sacks in the first half that were, you know, really critical plays. You know, David Moa, who we also haven't really talked about a lot, he had a tackle on a half for loss. You know, this front seven probably played its best game, but even the guys in the secondary were hitting really hard. Like, I remember there was the one play... I think it was late in the first half where Kakoa Nawahini had just kind of leveled the tight end. I think it was um, Waring who was trying to bring in a catch. And he just got rocked. And I think those are the kinds of things that really set the tone for Boise in this game. Like, they more or less out aztec the Aztecs. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, 12 TFLs, man. Jeez. Four sacks. The Aztecs defense, like... If you look at just the defense, here's the the defense is given a 14-0 hole, so they really only gave up 17 points defensively, which is fine. It's pretty good. They held the passing game in check. It's just that the they couldn't stop Madison, and that's an issue. Mm-hmm. And field position they have wasn't like in the first half. They mentioned that quite a bit. Field position, Boise State kept getting the ball closer and closer and closer until they finally scored the touchdown to restart the field position game. Yeah, I mean, if you look at the drive chart, you could see there's a 20-yard difference between where San Diego State was starting their own drives. On average, they were at their own 21. Boise State was starting on average from their own 41. Okay, so let me ask you this, then, because is this an aberration for San Diego State, or is this something to be concerned about going forward? I don't know. I mean, it's hard to say because... On the one hand, how many defenses are they going to face down the stretch that are as good as this Boise State defense has looked? You know, obviously, because obviously Fresno State has looked pretty good in the last couple weeks on defense. Um, You know, Hawaii's not really a challenge in that regard. San Jose State has some defensive issues. Nevada has some defensive issues. Who's Who's their other Mountain Division opponent? So... Uh, New Mexico. So I'm going to say no then? (laughs) I mean, we kind of knew all along, I think, without having to actively say it, that, you know, this isn't a team that's built to play from behind. That's what I mentioned. Yeah, the passing game. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, it's going to be – it's a difficult question to answer because it's hard to imagine, like – you know, if a month from now Nevada marches down the field like 80 yards for a touchdown on the first drive, how is San Diego State going to respond? Mm-hmm. I think they're still going to be able to respond by, you know, basically shoving it with Rashad Penny down their throats. So, I mean, I don't know. I mean, I know that sounds like a cop out, but, you know, I, I would kind of expect that the next time this happens, that Chapman will be a little bit better than he was because, you know, Let's not forget, I mean, they did put together two pretty effective scoring drives down the stretch. You know, they had the one 89-yard touchdown and a 10-play 84-yard drive that followed that one up. But, you know, on the whole, I think he was, what, seven? I think he was seven of 16 after halftime. So while he did have those chunk plays, he just wasn't nearly accurate enough. And that hasn't always been the case in the past. Like, obviously, he... You know, had that comeback drive versus Wyoming last year. He's shown that he can put together long drives to be able to keep the Aztecs in the game. So I'm thinking that if this happens again, with the defenses that they're going to play down the stretch, it probably won't go sideways as much as it did in this game. You're right. And then looking at really quick, like third down stuff, they were, what, 
Oh, shoot, I just had it here a second ago. Only five of sixteen. Mm-hmm. Not very good. One of three on fourth downs. But you're right. They over like I can't say outside of that, but like they didn't turn they had one turnover, which obviously hurt them leading to points. Like penal they weren't penalized very much. The main thing in this game is that Boise just shut down Penny. And like I said, Chapman's not gonna go tw- he threw twenty seven times. He's not gonna go twenty two of twenty seven and get you the win. Him throwing twenty seven passes is way too much. Particularly when they're from behind. And so that's all I can say about it. Boise forced him to throw. And Boise knew once they figured out they could stop Penny, there was no point in Aztecs doing any sort of play action or anything to have them like hesitate or fall for that trick. They knew mm-hmm. they were going to throw so they could bring. That's the reason they had 12 TFLs, however many sacks, QB hurries. The reason they got to Chapman so often because they knew they could bring the guys. And honestly, we know the Aztec receivers aren't amazing. Like Michael Holder's pretty good. David Wells caught one pass. But they're like guys in the secondary for Boise State. They can just play man to man, and that's it. And bring seven or eight guys, and not worry about it. There you go. Let me ask you this: So this is the only loss to Aztecs. Are they eliminated from like a big money bowl game? Do you think? No, but they're gonna need a lot of help, and it's hard to see where they're gonna get it from. Because, I mean, at this point, you know, the AP poll has come out, and I think both UCF and South Florida presumably went up. I, I don't have it in front of me right now. But, you know, for example, if you want to look at those schedules for the next month real quick, uh, Central Florida, for instance, they go at Navy Who lost? next Saturday. Still a pretty dangerous team, though. Yeah, oh, for so sure, yeah. They, but after that, you know, they host Austin P. who... <laughs> Yeah, but, but, you know, they've been a pretty good FCS team, but that's probably a win. And then they travel to Southern Methodist and then host UConn. On the flip side, you know, USF, South Florida, they, if this tab will open, they go to Tulane, which which might actually be a tough game, you know? Yeah. And then they are home versus Houston at UConn, home versus Tulsa. And who knows what Tulsa will be because they put up a million forty something points for Houston. So it's hard to see where there's anything other than maybe a fifty fifty resolution in any of those games. Well also you forgot to mention UCF and USF play each other at the end of the season too. Well I was gonna get to that. Oh, okay. Like it, it kinda looks at this point, like unless the Aztecs can get some help. Like these two teams are on a collision course at this point, so they're gonna have to hope that someone from the bottom half of the American can really rise up and knock one of these two teams off or both of them, preferably. I think maybe on the flip side though, is this also good news for Boise in Colorado state? Yeah. Really quick before we move on to that, um, what we, I think what the ideal ideally would like to happen because USF and UCF could both win out. That's fine. Mm-hmm. They're, they're in the same division. So losers out no matter what. So, Yes, it'd be nice to get the Aztecs polling position, or maybe, like I said, we'll get to CSU Boise and finish these other games, but it doesn't really matter because you have to win your conference. So if they're both undefeated at that time, which is would be good for them, obviously, 11-0, 11-0, they, one of them loses, okay. Then they lose on to the other half-division title, they're out. So there's still a lot left to be played. Who cares if they lose to Navy or Memphis or UConn or whoever they're playing upcoming? All that really matters is that Whoever wins this side half of the division doesn't win the title game. So it's kind of not a moot point, but it's fun to talk about it. They play this team, this team, that team. But if you want to look at it more simplistically, one of them is going to be knocked out no matter what. Those both, both of them 
they're basically competing against themselves. That's true. So South Florida, which is number, um, did you see this, 13 in the coaches' poll? <laughs> yeah, whatever. <laughs> At least AP polls in 16, which is fine, but I'm like, really, 13? They're, they're winning. They do what they do. But you tell me they're better than Washington State? No. They better than Notre Dame, maybe Michigan. It's so jeez. But um, who's so? Let's get to your point. CSU Boise because they each have two losses right now. Mm-hmm. Boise's lost to uh, Washington State. Is Virginia ranked, or are they nowhere near the rankings? Uh, they are not ranked. They're getting they... points. It looks like they're right above San Diego State for points, at least in the coaches' poll. Yeah, they are below San Diego State in the AP poll. However, okay. So part of it with Aztecs really quick, this is the best – if they could have any loss, this is the only loss they could afford in conference play mm-hmm. because it's going to be considered a quality – whatever you want to say, quality loss. So a loss that gets a team that's going to a bowl game. And we know how yeah. the committee works, even though how flawed it is, by saying if you're a bowl team or not a bowl team, it's better to lose to a bowl team than not, whether you're 6-6 six and six or 12-0. and oh. doesn't matter. Similar as it is if it's 5-7, and 0-12. Oh it's still a loss that gets a team that's not bowling. But this does help CSU Colorado State or boy, be it Boise, CSU, because you're right. They play each other. Winner of that game, if you win the conference at, this is where your point comes more into play. If both these teams are 10-2, and two, or whichever one, the winner between them is 10-2, and two, facing San Diego State, maybe all, maybe they're both ranked. I could see it being a possibility if Aztecs are 11-1 and CSU or Boise are 10-2 and two are both ranked because they're all getting points in the polls. It might be a 20-25 versus 20 through 25 ranking situation. They win. That may not this may not be high enough to get them ahead, but this is where we need the American champ to have at least one loss. Yeah, I mean, I think it's also worth keeping in mind too. Like, obviously, we don't know what the playoff rankings are going to look like at this point. Halloween. But if you want to judge it by the AP top twenty-five, yes, San Diego State did drop out, but chances are, if they beat Fresno State next week, they're going to be right back in it. You because they so? only felt they only felt the twenty sixth essentially. Like they're the oh, first, they're that close. Oh, I they're didn't the first that. team. They're the first team listed in the AP poll as far as others receiving votes, and they're still the only Mountain West team receiving any kind of votes. So while the American does have the inside track because they do have three teams in the top twenty five now: South Florida, Central Florida, and Memphis in at number twenty five. They have the inside track, but. You know, it's going to be a little bit messy to see things, how they come down the stretch. You know, Memphis, I think, maybe has a little bit more of a perilous route going forward. You know, they're at Houston, home versus Tulane, at Tulsa, home versus SMU, and then home versus East Carolina. So there's some, you know, they've shown the ability to disappear at times because obviously they got blasted by Central Florida. They looked pretty good against Navy this past week, but I don't know that there is any sure thing in the American at this point. They're going to need help one way or another, though. Well, I think the only teams that don't... though actually, they don't. I don't think they need help at all because if Memphis wins out, they're going to be... Would you... Okay, let's play this game real quick. We've got other games to do, but this is always interesting. Memphis wins out. They're 12-1. and They're beating, most likely, maybe a 12-0. Well, I guess South Florida's one last game, but either a zero loss or one loss South Florida, Central Florida team... Would you put that above San Diego State if they're twelve and one and Memphis is twelve and one? That is a really good question. Because it come down to looking at UCLA, Stanford, 
maybe Navy, Arizona State, something in those range, that range. So, you see, oh no, sorry, that game got rescheduled. Sorry, UCF. But that, I think that could be a good matchup. They'll be right there. And one thing that we know in the poll, these coaches, eight people, if you're ahead of a team, odds of you getting jumped are very slim. But here's the thing it'll come down to. They, boy, San Diego State, because they have one loss, will still consider them the favorite over the Mountain Division teams because they have two losses. Let's just say like my thing comes out where Aztecs are ranked 20. They play, say it's a rematch versus Boise State, and Boise State's 22. But if they're playing, as we see in South Florida's top 15 team, they're undefeated, they might be top 10. It could be like a 20 versus 10 matchup. Memphis beats a top 10 team, they're going to be ahead of San Diego State. Right? Yeah. So we need what, chaos in American, I guess. Is that what we're, we're hinting at? More or less. We're looking at you, UConn. Come on, Cincinnati, East Carolina. No, Cincinnati's trash. They had their chance already. <laughs> Navy to win the division? That could still happen. Yeah, exactly. I think maybe if, maybe if we're rooting for one team, we're rooting for Navy. And maybe Houston. Houston as well. They've been interesting. But to win the division, yeah, I think it could be Navy. Because, again, it's going to be UCF or USF and the other side. And Navy is such a tough team to go against. Yeah. I'd say Navy or Houston. Because Houston has just a one loss. SMU's not as good as we thought. But, so, yeah, I think Navy's the best chance because an 11-1 Navy or 12-1 Navy, it'll have the same scenario last year. What happens if they beat lose to Army or something, that type of thing last year, because they're going to make the picks before then. But I think you're right. I think Navy's the best chance to knock off South Florida or Central Florida. I guess we'll find out. Well, they play next week, too, so Central Florida Navy. There we go. <laughs> and, and, by the way, in case anybody's wondering, yes, even though San Diego State lost, I'm probably still going to do that weekly thing. Maybe not specifically for San Diego State fans at this point, but maybe open it up to Boise State and Colorado State fans. So if you're looking for games to keep an eye on this coming week for Week 8, be on the lookout for that later this week. Yeah, it's a good idea, Boise. And the thing is they're probably the same games. You know what I mean? Yeah. There's not going to be too much of a difference. So, yeah, we'll open it up to maybe the uh, playoff viewing guide or something, whatever, G5, whatever you want to do. Some sort of viewing guide for the Mountain West to get to the winning bowl game. And by the way, if you followed my guide last week, I told you to watch Clemson lose to Syracuse. You did. I did not heed to, heed to that advice. <laughs> it also didn't help. I got I was, had I worked late and I could have watched it. I, I see, oh, fourth quarter. Let's find a radio station and listen on my drive home. And then pleasantly surprised. All right, so we finished our game. So I guess we got a couple more games to talk about. <laughs> yeah. Let's do uh, it. We have um, Nevada, Colorado State. Um can I say I'm right? Can, can, can Ty Kate, do I need to give uh, Norville my phone number to tell him to start Ty Ganji or give him the uh, DeLorean to go back in time to not bench him at all? <laughs> I mean, if, I mean, if you ever have funding to be able to build such a machine, I don't see why not. I'd probably do something better, but still. But Maybe I think, a pit, pit stop. <laughs> but I think Ganji's numbers kind of speak for themselves. And there was one thing that you mentioned in our re- in our preview was watch out for big plays in this game. And the name of the game, at least for Nevada on offense, was big plays. And they almost pulled off an upset. Yes, at least six plays over 20 yards in a passing game. At least mm-hmm. six. There could be more. I'm just looking at the long plays. But they had their chances. Like, I'm I'm watching Boise, San Diego State, because, well, that's the better game you'd think. Then I'm like, oh, halftime? Let's switch over. When Aztecs are down big, I see, okay, it's a 28-21 to half. All right. Nevada scores 21 points that third quarter. But you mentioned this is secondary for uh, standing, or Colorado State. Not not terribly impressive. Well, I mean, 
Yes and no, because on the one hand, you know, Ganji was only 23 or 40, which yeah. isn't a great completion percentage. I think he was a little better than that last week against, um, who were they playing last week? San Jose? Yeah, San Jose, yeah. So he was a little better than that last week. But when you're throwing for 428 yards and when you're who allowing, cares? And right? when you allow <laughs> not one, but two trick or, you know, two plays from other passers. Like, did you happen to see the halfback pass that Kelton Moore threw in this game? I, I must have. I did not see that one. I'm going to compile our highlights later today, but I missed that play. I'm not going to lie. That was a beautiful play. Better than Utah State's wide receiver pass? I'm, I think so, yeah. Ooh, I better find it soon. All right. Yeah, it was, it was a 57-yard touchdown to McLean Mannix, who, by the way, might just be the nation's best freshman receiver at this point. You know, seven catches, 150 yards, and a touchdown. You know, I think he's pretty much established himself as the guy in this Nevada offense. You're correct. Yeah, looking at what he's done, he's been very consistent. Only every game but two at six or more receptions. He's tearing it up. Touchdown in every game except for Washington State where, well, it's Washington State. Yeah, he could be freshman All-American alert. That's what we're calling for him. That's what he's going to be. Running game, like Nevada, what what the heck happened? Last week they rushed the ball very well. This week, nothing. Which the Rams rushing defense is quite good. But, man, 31 for 56, that's a uh, – I'm surprised they're that close in this game, but I guess with this uh, air raid attack or was it what, – what's the official name, pack attack? Is that what it was? Pack attack, yeah. We wanted air wolf, but they went with pack attack. Well, but I mean, it, I think it, that – It's tough. You know, some of it I think they were mentioning on the broadcast had to do with the fact that they were really getting their depth tested at running back. Like they had, you know, if you look at the box score, one carry from a, from a true freshman named Russell Booze. Which, by the way, great name. But, you know, I think that kind of thing is reflective of the fact that, you know, more, you know, yeah, he had his, his long touchdown pass, but they didn't really have a running game again to speak of, which put a lot on Ganji's shoulders. Um, and I don't know that's necessarily something they want to do. You know, I think they want to have some semblance of a passing here of a running game. I don't think they mm-hmm. want to be the kind of team that only averages two yards per carry, which is pretty much what this offense was able to do last night against the Rams. So, you know what's unfortunate about this game? What's that? College kickers are not accurate at all. Nevada. Do we want to talk about yeah. that? Colorado State gets a go-ahead touchdown, 44-42. On, was it, a Took a pretty long drive. Took most part of the way into the fourth quarter. Well, some of the fourth quarter. Nevada gets the ball. All right, 12 minutes left. Let's go. 12 plays, 57 yards. They're take, they're, they're pulling the um, Boise State versus BYU last week. Let's run as many plays as possible, as much time we want off the clock. Because the Rams defense, quick strike. 26-yard pass to Mannix. They run down the field. Gage, he rushes for a yard. Pass, pass, run, run, whatever. Fourth and one at the 18. You're down by two. Well, you're going to kick it, of course, right? 30. Do you think that was the right decision? They're moving pretty well, so maybe not. But, yeah, I say yes because look at the running stats. They couldn't run the ball regardless because, well, they had first and 10. They had, well, maybe so. Well, if you look at the whole game, probably not. But if you look at the um, plays before because they already went for the fourth down before because here's what they did on this drive really quick. They actually ran the ball quite well if you look a little bit deeper. They had a third and 15. That was a pass, obviously. That was a big co- conversion there. But Oh, no, sorry. I'm looking at the wrong score. Sorry. I'm going too far up on my chart here. <laughs> Let me go back to the right one. That was a drive before. 
Third and one, they get the first down, running the ball, two-yard gain. Third and one, no gain with Hamilton running the ball. Fourth and one, Gangy gets the two yards. Then they go five-yard run, four-yard run. No yard gain, no gain from Kelton Moore on third and one. Thinking about it now, maybe they should have gone for it because on that drive, they actually that's probably their best rushing drive of the whole game. Yeah, because I, I'm, I went back to look through the play-by-play to see if they had any other kinds of – or what they were doing on third and short, you know, pre- previously in this game. And what I noticed is that they didn't really have very many third and shorts in this game. <laughs> Until then? Yeah, like they had, a, they had a third and two in the third quarter when they were down seven. That was an incomplete pass, and they ended up just punting it away. But, you know, to your point, like they had converted on third and short – twice already or a third and short rather and then a fourth and in one on that drive mm-hmm. so to me i almost i almost wish that they had just decided to go for it kind of you know no guts no glory kind of thing especially since you know they ended up uh rather why brian ended up missing the, the ensuing field goal anyway mm-hmm. like i kind of wish like you're on the road you need one yard to go. And even if your offense has been scuffling on the ground, like you've had some success in converting those tries. So, I mean, personally, I would have liked to see them do it. And I wish that I had the numbers in front of me as to like how their numbers have broken down as far as being able to convert third downs. Cause like on the season, they're right in the middle of the pack as far as, converting third downs on offense. They're seventh in the conference, right around 38%. But, you know, I think if it were me, I probably would have gone for it, kind of knowing what was at stake, you know, knowing that, you know, do you really want to put too much in Ganji's shoulders? Just ask your guy to get one yard. What, and this was on the road as well, correct? At CSU? Um. Yes. So actually, okay. I, so I went back and I looked it up. So third, so what they've done so far this year in third and short, which is you know one yard to three yards to go, seventeen attempts, fifteen yards, and only seven first downs. And on fourth down, you know they've had nine attempts and they've actually on average gone backwards. You know, they they have three first downs, but they've averaged almost basically minus one yards in those attempts. So maybe, you know, knowing that little bit of context, I guess the, the decision to go for it makes more sense, or to go for the field goal, rather. I don't know. I mean, I just, if you know, it's easy for me to say as a bystander, as someone who, you know, if I were playing NCAA football, for instance, I probably would have just gone for it. You never punt, right? That game's never... <laughs> no, well, I mean, I, I punt, but, you know... He didn't miss. Oh, here, here's the other thing. Okay. He didn't miss by much, too. Pettit ended up hitting the upright. So, this is a matter of inches, one way or another. You know, if he actually makes that field goal, if it's like one foot more to the left, we're not having this conversation, you know, because Nevada's up one at that point. And then if CSU has to rally and they ended up missing that field goal in another situation anyway, we're having, you know, we're talking about you know, Taiganji rallying this team all the way back and all that kind of stuff. So I guess I could kind of see it both ways that they haven't really been successful running the ball, short yardage situations, but I kind of wish that they had given it a shot. So um, with this game, had it been here, as you're, we were chatting about this, 
here's my thinking why they went for, for the field goal. You're down two. Yes. If you don't get it and they score a touchdown, you're down nine, most likely. Mm-hmm. Had this been a one-point game, they would have gone for it. Because if CSU goes down and gets a touchdown, if you don't get it, you could still theoretically tie the game on a two-point conversion. Maybe they brought up the little number chart, say, what should we do here in this situation with how much time left? Because it's not like the game was over. If they miss it, there's each each team still had another possession. Mm-hmm. Cu- yeah, there was still five minutes to go. Yeah, so had you miss it and it'd be a one-point game, there's still time to say the Rams score fairly quickly. Or they did the same thing, same drive. They went seven plays, but they go for a touchdown instead. That still gave you two-plus minutes left in the game. And I'm just saying, maybe it was a point thing. You're down two because you know if you miss it, they get touched on the game's essentially over down down two possessions because extra points odds odds of missing that are pretty slim. So yeah, so, I mean, I don't know, but you're right. You're on the road. You ran the ball well on that drive. Go for it. You need one yard. Go under center and just push it forward. Yeah, and I mean, a, a small part of me can't help but wonder. Like you've already gained over 500 yards of total offense by this point. You can get one more, right? What's one more? I know. Yeah. Um. You know. On the flip side. Can we talk about Michael Gallup for a moment? Um, you mean 200-yard receiver Michael Gallup? Yeah, do you remember when we had this conversation in the recap and I was talking about whether they were going to stop him and you said no? <laughs> I was correct. 13 for 263, three touchdowns. So who's player of the week? Him or Arian Worthman? Oh, or, really good hey, question. why not Nick Stevens? <laughs> I don't know. That's true, too. I mean, I thought it would be the Nick Stevens show, and so I'll take credit for that. Uh, he was 26 of 37, 384 yards and four touchdowns. But, I mean, I don't know, because Gallup was, if I remember correctly, I think it was Rich Kurtzman had mentioned that he was two yards short of the school record for receiving yards. Yeah, and I, I had seen on Twitter that Rich Kirschman, I believe, said that Gallup ended up two yards shy of the school record for receiving yards. You know, 263 yards, three touchdowns on 13 catches. You know, and we've, we've already talked about a couple of highlight-worthy catches that were made. Like, there was a gif, I, I think it was Matt Stevens posted it, where Gallup had like a really tough catch over a defender on the sideline or something like that falling backwards did you happen to see that i must have missed that i need to go find it it was a really good catch he's a he's just really good he no like, he is it's like he's fun to watch yeah, he he catches the ball he muscles he's probably better than richard higgins right is that sacrilege in fort collins i don't know what why not have two amazing two Blitnikoff finals potentially in your mitts? Why not? That's true. That's true. Why not? If you look nationally, like you no, know, he's a beast. Like CU game, notwithstanding with the questionable offensive PI calls, but he's a guy. We look at what he's doing overall in the net nation. Like he's crushing it. Nobody, like who's really that much better than him? I'm trying to pull it up really quick. He's number two in yards per game. He has five touchdowns, which is I know you got David Sills of West Virginia who has twelve, which is ridiculous. Or Anthony Miller, Memphis, but like. What he can do overall, like yards per game, number two, he catches everything in his in his path that comes. He has almost a thousand yards. He's leading the nation in receiving yards total. Fifty nine receptions, just top what three? Number two, he's basically the best, almost the best receiver overall. When we look at a couple stats. He does it all. Well, I guess he's pretty good. Well, maybe he doesn't do it all, but he as for a receiver catching, receiving touchdowns, he does what he wants essentially. And do we need to move on to the final game really quick after Hawaii, the late, late game nobody could watch? Yeah, let's do that. 
So, you know, in the preview show, I guess we're we're all sorts of right in the preview show. We're kind of getting better at this thing, kind of. Maybe. Because we look at the – I'm starting to think um, Coach Brent, um, Brent Brennan is using the Utah State approach of not changing the depth chart ever. Because we looked on there, we saw quarterback Josh Love, right, as the number one starter. Number one. Mm-hmm. Well, when we look at when we had our San Jose State writer, Anna, over there, media – not media day, but availability – like, who's going to step up this week? No mention. First off, the ridiculous update of Montel Aaron. Oh, he's running around out there. We'll see. I'm like, come on, coach. Second-wise, he, he mentioned zero of Josh Allen about the quarterback situation of players who could step up. He mentioned Aaron. I think he mentioned Sam Allen as well, I believe. Love did play, mind you, 4 or 6, but Aaron got to start. 17-27. Very good game. 322, a couple touchdowns, a pick. Ended up losing to Hawaii, but he outplayed Drew Brown by quite a bit. You think so? Yeah, Brown was under fifty percent passing, or just a. Oh, well, he was actually right. Sorry, above just it, yeah. above. Sorry, only had one touchdown. Didn't throw for two hundred yards. This is a Dice May St. Juice show again. No, another two hundred yard rushing attack for him. Yeah, I was gonna say, you know, Drew Brown didn't really need to do too much because St. Juice was so good. Mm-hmm. Again, you know, we're talking about guys who are, you know, Mountain West Offensive Player of the Week worthy. He's another guy, you know, he was basically the offense in this game, especially since, if I'm not mistaken, John Rusua left the game because of an injury. You know, so, you know, losing him, I think, obviously hurt the passing game. You know, he only ended up with 170 yards, but more importantly, they, they weren't able to, you know, pick up chunk yardage in the same way that they had been. You know, Drew Brown ended up only having, I think, three plays over 15 yards. One of them was his only touchdown of the after of the evening. But, you know, I think on the one hand, yes, this is probably the best offensive performance that San Jose state has had all year long, you know, by total offense, it was definitely their best. They were over 500 yards total offense. They were, I believe a little over seven yards per play. So those are good things, but Hawaii's defense, you know, for one finally showed up. Because, yes, Aaron was pretty good, but they did sack him four times. You know, they did force... Did they force any interception? Yeah, they forced one interception. And they forced, I believe, two turnovers total. Mm -hmm. And more importantly, like, this was probably their most disciplined game of the year, too. Like, they only had seven penalties. Only seven penalties. (laughs) Only seven penalties. Um, Well, look at San Jose real quick. 11 for 104 penalties. Jeez. Yeah. So, I mean, you could see Hawaii start to make progress in the ways that we started talking about last week in last week's preview. Like, it wasn't pretty, but they got the job done. Like, you know, San Jose still managed to rack up like 200 yards in the second half. But here's a telling stat for you. Do you know how many rushing yards they had in the second half? Which team? The Spartans. Um, 100. Zero. <laughs> Zero. They had 294 yards of total offense after halftime, all through the air. Doesn't mean they didn't try to rush the ball, right? They had 11 carries <laughs> for zero yards. Wow. And they also turned the ball over three times, too. So while, yeah, Aaron had, you know, had his moments, they were able to kind of pick up. You know, they actually had a lot of big plays. I think it was probably their best performance of the year in that regard. You know, they ended up having 10 plays of more than 15 yards. And, you know, again, Tyler Nevins had a pretty decent game, you know, 84 yards on 22 carries. But turnovers killed this team again. And 
I don't know that there's any easy answer for that, but it's to Hawaii's credit, rather, that they were able to take advantage of that. And Hawaii came back, came from behind. They didn't score in the first quarter. They were down 10-0 at one point, and they made a comeback. That's part of it, too. Like, San Jose State took advantage of a fumble early on a field goal and a uh, three and out as well to get that quick 10-0 lead. But then Hawaii goes on a massive drive and scores again. But, yeah, up 10-0. Like, San Jose State, yeah, they had a big lead. It's kind of going back to South Florida. When they get ahead, I know it's super early first quarter where they got ahead, but it's like they get leads, but they when they do get them, which rare they seem to be, they don't seem to be able to hold on to that or take advantage of any lead. Like, they can't trust their defense at all. This is an offense where I'm thinking if they're going to win any games this year against an FBS team, they're going to somehow outscore anybody, and I don't know who they're going to beat because Fresno looks way better. They've already lost to Nevada. Maybe UNLV because their defense uh, is – well, they're lost to UNLV. Sorry. They got crushed. Maybe not. They got BYU. I don't know. Maybe they can beat BYU. But Maybe. I, I'll be at the game, but they, they, they're going to go 1-12, one, one in 12, I think. Or 1 in – they play 13 games? Uh, yes. They're going to win one game because they go to BYU next uh, two weeks. They have a week off. But they got San, San Diego State, no. At Nevada – you never know. Maybe Nevada has turned a corner a little bit, but at CSU, no. Home versus Wyoming, it's, I'm not confident in any sort of victory at all for them down the rest of the way at all. Yeah, I mean, I think the name of this game, like I kind of mentioned in the recap, is like you just want to see them do something on offense. And so so in that regard, I think the game is can be characterized as a success. But, you know, there are certain things that they're going to have to work on. Like they weren't great on third downs like Hawaii had a a pretty significant advantage as far as being able to just keep moving the chains they were 10 of 15 where San Jose State was only 6 of 15 but more importantly like they put themselves in a lot of third and long situations and they were 0 of 5 when they had to get more than nine yards which probably isn't a huge surprise but you don't want to put yourself in that many positions when you're an offense that's still trying to grow so, yeah, Aaron had his moments. He had a pretty decent game. Like, we know they still have a running back who's, you know, pretty decent. And they have some targets that they can build around, but the defense is probably going to hold them back more often than not this year. All right. Is there, so, is there anything else to add? Like, Hawaii look any better? Anything you want to add about the Warriors team at all? Um. I mean, I think it's a credit to them that they were able to cut down on the kind of self-inflicted mistakes. Um, Barely. But it's going to be interesting to see, like, if if Ursua is out for any extended period of time, you know, what is that going to do for this offense? Because if I'm not mistaken, I believe they're off next week. And then they host San Diego State two weeks from now. Oh, boy. before, Before heading to UNLV. So it's not the easiest stretch in the world but we'll see if they have someone who can step up and replace Ursua's production because Brown was fine, but he wasn't nearly as explosive as he was with Ursua in the lineup. So that's something we're keeping an eye on. Interesting. Really quick, we're about to wrap this up. We've, we have our first line of the Aztec-Fresno State game. Okay, what is it? You don't want to take a guess? Or does your guess still stand at, what, seven and a half? Seven and a half. You're incorrect. Eleven and a half at the moment. Okay, I guess I could see that. And the other line I could find really quick, um, Boise versus or Wyoming. Right now it's 14 and a half, Boise State. Next week's going to be a really fun week. 
we'll get to all that next week. But I just saw two. I was looking for other lines while you're chatting, but that's the only two I could find at the moment. But we'll get those posted for as soon as they come across um, our secret website we use that everybody knows about. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, whatever. Um, so, um, oh, hold on really quick. UNLV, Utah State. Let's see if that's up really quick as this is riveting. Okay, it's up. Do you want to take a quick gander? Utah State at UNLV. What the line is at UNLV? I'm going to say UNLV minus three. Bingo, you're correct. Field goal. Boom. Start at two and a half, but apparently somebody puts a few bucks on the Rebels, so there you go. All right, so I think we're good. This is our week uh, A7. Ra- seven. Not, ooh, I'm getting ahead of myself. Week seven wrap-up show. A lot of craziness happened. There's Even though the Aztecs lost, it's okay. Relax, Aztec fans. You'll be okay. Boise State's still played very good defensive game. Probably their best of the year to, to the moment. But they're still now – this now opens up for – a good CSU Boise San Diego State conversation to maybe the winner, as we discussed earlier, to get to the New Year's Six Bowl game. Perhaps we'll see. But check out our website mwcwire.com, um, Facebook, Twitter. Hey, we had a nice review on Facebook. Did you see that? I did. Somebody says we are knowledgeable. I'll say question mark about what we're now kidding. Uh, we got a nice. <laughs> we got a nice review. An Aztec. What surprises me a little bit it was an Aztec fan as well. A complimentary Aztec fan because sometimes they they think I hate Chris Chapman or hate the Aztecs. Not sure. Well, they forget they forget our they forget our motto. Yeah, we're biased to get your team right. That's our motto. So, with that, if you I I, I replied, I said if you could please leave a review on iTunes or Stitcher or your podcast um, down whatever you use your podcast app, please. If you'd like to, like we say, give us a review and tell a couple friends. And, yeah, that's our show for this week. Um, and we'll be back next week for another riveting preview of Week 8. Have, like Matt said, a bunch of good games. But, as always, yes, we are biased against your team.